not the matrix way of thinking you should have with AI, but it's also not the everything solving technology. So you should always be in balance like, okay, how can it help me? And how do I make sure I don't create a matrix style situation? Welcome to this podcast about innovation. My name is Johan Halberg and I'm the CTO for DCX Digital Custom Experience in Scandinavia out of Stockholm. With me today, I have Siko Matthäus. Welcome, Siko. Thank you. Yes, uh, my name is Siko Matthäus. I work for Capgemini, the Netherlands, and I'm innovation manager of the Netherlands. So I'm working on all kinds of innovation uh, at clients with other uh, colleagues of mine. Wow, that sounds amazing. So, so what, what, what are you doing right now? What, what's, the, what's the main topic that you discuss with our clients and, and what's, what interests you? Um, me interests a very lot. That's why I also do trend readings. Uh, so I recently gave a trend reading for the Dutch Royal Marine, for instance. But people are a lot of uh, people are struggling in uh, with the data. They have data or they need data. And how do you use the data properly? to uh, get an advantage uh, compared to your competitors and also help your customer and your clients. Because that last one is the most important. How do you stay in the mind of your client? Because they can switch very easily. No, I I get that. And and I've always said that data is the assets. That's the true business asset today. And I think that what we are seeing in the market today is that that is really more and more of our customers say, have embraced that. We're talking about the digital uh, transformation, of course, but we're also talking how do you become more aware of, of how to realize the value of your data? So what's your take on that? Well, there are two sides. Uh, there are more sides on it, but the most important sides are uh, you can keep your data, but if data doesn't flow, it doesn't have any value. But there's also the whole cybersecurity and privacy issues in the world. And you need to balance that. So you need to use your data, but don't exceed the privacy rules and uh, regulations. And that's a very interesting way of working with your data and how you uh, put that into your advantage. So uh, one of the topics, of course, that we then are are talking about uh, is what's the impact for, I mean, just not the for uh, within companies also for society as such and for even for the humanity in the long run of course so i and i know that this is an area that interests you a lot Siko. so could you please elaborate a little bit on on how you when you do your presentation about innovation what's what, what's your thinking around it well i first mentioned three uh, topics three inevitable happenings currently in the world and that's the the data part, but also the computing power part. I think we will move to unlimited computing power. And also that everything gets connected. So uh, with internet, 5G, uh, IoT, everything gets connected. So the data explosion will uh, keep on going for the coming, uh, let's say, 10 years. So what do you do with all that kind of data and how do you treat that data and how do you use that computing power and everything connected together with the data in your advantage? And then the, the humanity is uh, becoming a little bit uh, afraid because they think they uh, they are a product of the technology. So how do you make sure that you know what happens with your data compared to what's currently happening, that people take your data and they gain value of your data, but you don't gain anything from your data. So maybe you should move back to the, uh, like in your small village where your neighbor across the street is always sitting behind her window and looking into the street. 
she knows everything of everyone but on the other hand if she's not behind the window you start looking where she is because she may have fallen so now you know who has your data and what's been uh, do what's been done with your data instead of that it's hidden somewhere in someone else's database and you can never ask your data back or gain any profits from it yeah and of course we have the gdpr and so on as well which has a lot of companies has, of course, uh, been implementing the, the rule sets as such. But that that will then mean that will we as, as some citizens, will we have more control of our data or not? Uh, if we don't do anything, we won't because uh, the companies will keep on taking all your data and using it in their advantage. So it's a very interesting, yeah, more philosophical way of thinking on, hey, how do we you treat the world and where do you put your energy in uh, on how your data is treated and who yeah. has access to your data yeah and i i think that that is what everyone is kind of a little bit afraid of of course is that your data has been used in a way that you don't have under any kind of control so so then of course the driving force around that that is of course to to make sure that that we have this not just control over it but also kind of an impact on what's happening with it so so i think that's exactly. the um one of the interesting areas when it comes to the shift in technology is that we are becoming so much more aware of of the value of this yes we do and uh it's the most important thing is that people want your attention and they use data for your attention so if you point your ad attention somewhere else, you can steer the world, uh, so to say. If everybody stops paying attention to Facebook, Facebook has a serious problem. They still have your data. You cannot ask it back for now still. But uh, if, you, if you move your attention elsewhere, they have a serious problem. So it looks like they are invincible. But if you move your attention somewhere else, their whole business model collapses. And then uh, you can change or steer the world in a direction you would like it to go where you have uh, control back again over your data. Yeah, and of course, that is uh, something that Facebook has been struggling with uh, since everything that's happened to them with the uh, misuse of their data, where they're selling the data to external parties without really having consent from the users or, well, in a way, you are giving away all your data to Facebook and other players. Um, and I guess we, as as m many people says, well, I don't have anything to hide. Well, what's your take on that? <laughs> no, but uh, I, uh, th that's true. If you don't have anything to hide, you don't have anything to hide. But as you don't have anything to hide, get out of my house because I don't have anything to hide. So why should people be sitting next to you on your couch looking at what you are doing while you don't have anything to hide? So that's actually what, what happens with uh, when you sit with your phone and your webcam in your face. The, the iPad can uh, see your heartbeat and a change of color on the content which is shown. So they can know when you get excited and send you more of that kind of data to get you more excited so they keep your attention. So if you don't have anything to hide, it's, uh, it's not that someone should sit in your house and watch you all day. And that's actually what this... Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in a room here in the office where we have an Alexa, we have some 
some uh, Philips Hue lights and we can control the lights as such. Um, and we can then have a kind of, you know, s set the mood of the room, for instance, or, or we can set the light in a way so it's convenient for whatever reason you want to. Um, so today you can use technology for so many different things. Uh, and that is, of course, what, what I'm seeing. How, how does that change us? How, how, how can we then as, uh, uh, I mean, citizens of the world, so to speak, how, how can we make sure that that information is not misused or, and so on? And that is, of course, the challenge today. So my, my thinking is that if you then have using the data in a way so it brings value to companies, how do that, does it bring value to you as consumer or you as a human being? And I think that's the fundamental, fundamental shift in technology that we are seeing in, in the future. And that is that technology will really be the enabler for most of what we do. Yes, it is. It is the catalyst and it's the enabler. And uh, that's why it's so nice and so uh, interesting to live in this era because technology is helping us uh, getting to the next step. It's some, like the industrial revolution or like uh, uh, the reading of books and that kind of stuff. That's, this is a new phase. And of course, in such a shift, uh, things go wrong and things may uh, hurt, but we should focus on the things which are good for us and give those attention instead of only the bad things because everything you give attention will grow. And um, we should also think ourselves. If it's free, you are the product. So then someone else is gaining value from a different way of having your attention than having you paying for it. Um, so think of where you put your data to. So when you start using something for free and you accept that, then you know that they will do something with your data you don't have control about. But if you, uh, for instance, pay for your Google services, then Google won't look at your data. But if you use the free Gmail, then they look inside your inbox and everything. So those small steps can already uh, plan a, no more gain a, a much yeah. different. So, so when you now are looking into the future and you're seeing, you're talking to our customers about what's the future of, of uh, tech and what's the future for our, within their areas, what do you say to them? I first ask what they want to achieve and what they want to become or what they want to stay. And then look at the kind of technologies which can help them to uh, reach that strategic objective. So I don't uh, plan to sell blockchain, for instance. I first want to look on the strategic uh, planning and their vision and then see how technology can help or catalyst uh, that process to get to that strategic objective. And that works really well because then it's also intrinsic motivate, motivated steps they want to take. And also when people change places in the company or move out the company, it's not hanging on one fan, it's uh, linked to the strategic objective. So it doesn't matter when people change or teams uh, change. Okay, can move so how do you then, for instance, uh, when, when the client has decided that um, we, we want to look into this area. How, how do you then, are you working with, with external parties like startups and so as well? And, or how, how do you see that the customers today are working? Yeah, but we always propose and what works very, very well is that we first do some kind of proof of value, which is uh, 
putting a small team together, doing interviews and research to prove that if the thing we thought of is really uh, may really be successful uh, when implemented. And after that, we do a proof of concept or a pilot differs per, per customer uh, to prove that it really works. So we really implement it in the business uh, and see how it works and get real customer feedback and iterate on that. And when that's successful, then we start implementing it and scale it up throughout the whole company. So that's the way we work. And uh, you also have some kind of safety nets budget-wise while doing those steps. And you have proven technology implemented into your organization and not some kind of awesome technology which will not be used for 80% of the time or something like that, which usually... Uh, people think of when innovation is uh, no, because yeah, no, uh, correct, because again. innovation without using is not really worth anything, right? I mean, you you you, you want like, to make that impact, and whatever that impact might be. If the impact is, for instance, having a better customer support, or if it's making sure that you as as then as a end consumer gets the best not just offers, but the best kind of, of uh, uh, ideas on how you could enhance your home or, or your car ride or whatever you want to, to uh, extend. How, how would you do that? And that was, I guess that's the thing that I, I see that's happening more and more today. Yeah. I had a conversation with a client the other week uh, and they were saying that, hey, if, if we can't move faster, um, it's going to hurt our business. So at the same time, of course, it needs to, to be uh, correlated with the, their culture internally as well. Uh, and I see that as a trick and I see that as a challenge for many organizations today. So what, 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 do you, how, what kind of challenges do you see with, with your clients? Well, I see that uh, challenge as well. Uh, they have fear of the outside world who's, going, who's moving faster and faster. But how do you do that within your company without getting crazy situations or uh, panic situations? And uh, that's why uh, I always opt for the proof of value, proof of concept, and then implement it inside your uh, full business. Uh, So uh, then you take small steps so people can get used to the new situation and people can see that it works before they really need to work with it. And uh, that helps them... uh, yeah. changing their culture and changing their behaviors no I, I agree with you I, I think that is one of the ways that that will really works then of course is this how do you then change the culture because that that is we all know that that is going to be needed because you can't for instance when we when when we're having the the millennials and the newer kind of employees coming into the companies they have this notion that every, everything should be on the mobile right why, why, why do we need we this yeah. old applications that you are running in the many organizations? How, how can we make sure that we are faster when it comes to being uh, more agile in the way we are, are consuming and uh, implementing technology today? Yeah, you should uh, put yourself inside into the world in a responsive uh, shape. So when the world changes, you can respond on that. So you should not... Uh, put yourself into some kind of epoxy concrete uh, situation because then you cannot move when the world changes. The world will change anyway. You don't have influence on that part. So you need to uh, train yourself how you act on the ever-changing situation. 
and I think that we will move from a solid situation where things can last for 10 years. We will move to an average uh, responsive uh, situation where you change weekly, maybe, maybe in a couple of hours, even sometimes. And, and that will be our new standard. And the new generations can cope with that. And the older situation, uh, generations still need to get used to that. But that takes time. You cannot rush that. You can only show them uh, that that responsive uh, sh shape uh, is paying value. And then they will move to that as well. You, if you keep on telling it, them, they say, yeah, but you only work for four years and I already work for 30 years. But just show them the proof and yeah. then they can uh, I, turn We have been talking about the digital natives for years, I think. And when talking about the digital native, we're, we're thinking about a young person that's always been having the mobile and the digital kind of in its, in its genes. And it's interesting to see that more and more companies are also then understanding that, hey, we need to be digital natives as well as an organization because digital native has nothing really to do with age, right? It's it's much more than that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it it's, it's a mindset. And if you have that mindset, you can move forward again. And uh, then you are not afraid of the ever-changing world anymore because you see yeah. more possibilities than fear. So, so I, and being being talking to clients and customers of ours, how how do you see that they are are they embracing this? Is this something they are talking with you about, or? It depends per company, and more especially depends uh, per department. Uh, so every department has its own life cycle, or something like that. And uh, some departments are more uh, rigid uh, by nature, so they uh, don't like change that much, and maybe they shouldn't change that much as well. And others really need to keep that responsive shape, otherwise they lose uh, market or they lose clients or they lose attention. So that, that it depends per department uh, how you uh, what your yeah. pace is, no, so, I, to, I, so to say. I really much. Uh... I agree with you because I, I see the same thing. It's it's interesting to see that uh, the same organization, um, and sometimes the organization doesn't have to be that, that big, actually, but they are really being very much um, on another <laughs> maturity level than, than the, uh, the department, department just beside them, I think. Uh, it's uh, it's also interesting to see that I see more and more of the public organizations, the governments and so on, they are maturing as well. Um, but they have a different uh, way of looking at it. So I would be interesting when, when you the other day, you said that you were talking to, who was it? It was the, you gave gave your presentation to this uh, organization, the, uh, was it Marines in Holland or? Yeah, the, the Royal Dutch Marine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what's what's their take on this? What's, what's their challenges? Well, the, their challenges, uh, they are uh, really a technology focused organization. And uh, um, especially the younger generations are moving out the company. Um, uh, and so they were looking into, hey, how can we use technology to have a um, good force with fewer people doing stuff that technology can do? So then we can free up the minds on a more intelligent, human-like uh, way of thinking. 
So that's why I gave a technology presentation on how this, this work in the civil society and uh, gave them a picture of what what they may pick up within the Royal Marine. I didn't give them an advice. I just showed them the picture and they were connecting the dots themselves on, hey, here, the yeah. Dutch Royal no, Marine. Of course, I, and I see it's really interesting on. that uh, the way AI has, has moved recent years, of course, that is something that applies to this as well. Um, and the the possibility to use uh, technology for taking decisions. Um, early in the days, I was working with um, pro business process management and document management and, and some of, of that kind of, of tools. And that has really exploded in the last couple, four or five years even, when it comes to how to use uh, technology to speed up decision making and automation, automation and so on as well. And everything from autonomous cars to, to uh, uh, processes within the organizations. So, uh, and I think that that is an area that uh, will grow even faster, of course. But it's uh, we. It's also interesting to see when it comes to AI, when it comes to that space, that there are so many opinions, and there's of course all these scary uh, movies, everything from from the old Terminators to, of course, uh, Matrix and a lot of these uh, sci-fi kind of movies. But the interesting part is that that affects people so much, and I think that's part of the reasons why people are scared because they think it's dangerous and this is something that could affect them, I mean, in a bad way. But at the same time, I've seen so many good use cases within healthcare, within so many different areas that I think that it's, it's important to bring these ones up as well. Uh, AI is super awesome, uh, but the human influence on AI is pretty dangerous. So as we built the AI, uh, our influence is already in it. Uh, you cannot say, uh, I don't do that because you are born and raised in, in some kind of culture and environment. And somehow it's in your code. Uh, it's not on purpose, but that's how it goes. Uh, that's why uh, if you, and also if you train AI, usually it's trained by uh, people. So then it's also influenced by those people. And for instance, when they used AI as a, uh, a law maker, then uh, it's trained by uh, old uh, uh, dossiers, and um, those were already decided on by humans. So the decisions made in, in those cases were uh, already influenced by human uh, nature in in that uh, time of period. So then the current AI is already learning how it used to be twenty or ten years ago, and that influence is put into the AI. But you cannot do without AI. AI is needed because it's the era of data. There's a complete explosion of data, especially with unstructured data because of all the IoT and everything. And so we need AI to get it again, uh, be able to comprehend everything around you. But then you need uh, honest, straightforward AI which you really can trust and which really helps you forward instead of yeah. putting someone into a decision. Yeah, I, I very much agree to that. It's uh, um, AI with, uh, without any kind of control is, of course, that is dangerous. And the AI with um, where 
humans are are using it for their own advantages is another dangerous path to take, of course. Um, at the same time, of course, that we see that it's it has a lot of good use cases, and I think that is the 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 real um, challenge today, and that is using AI for the right purposes and for the right use cases, of course. And I see that when when we are and when I'm, we are talking to our customers, I see that they are, of course, asking us, what kind of use cases do you have? Well, how, where have you seen AI uh, making good for society or for, for a company or even for us as individuals as, as well, of course? So you, what kind of discussions do you have with, with your customers in, in Holland around this? Well, I try always try to balance it out that it's not the matrix way of thinking you should have with AI, but it's also not the ever uh, everything solving technology. So you should always be in balance like, okay, how can it help me? And how ma- do I make sure I don't create a matrix uh, style situation? And there's a balance between that. And as it's a pretty new technology, we still need to learn from the things we built on how it behaves and how it's treating uh, the environment and then tune and tweak on that and uh, also share experience with each other so everybody can learn from it and not only you while you develop your own AI, but please make sure you share it with other people so other people can learn from it as well. Yeah, and and how do you see that that sharing is taking place today or how do you foresee that it will, I mean, it will be taken care of in the future? I foresee that people will um, collectively develop AI. As it becomes more complicated, you cannot do it on your own or by yourself. You need other parties involved, uh, especially when you think of AI uh, influencing a value chain. Uh, so please share everything and be transparent with your AI throughout that value chain. And it's already a help, uh, uh, happening on small scale, but uh, I think it will be on global scale pretty soon. Yeah. I I really hope that actually I think yeah, that that too. would help us all in a very good way and I think that it's uh, I've seen so many great use cases around AI around packet packet and recognition around uh, using it for for uh, of course for the for really interesting and good good stuff um, then of course I think it's a challenge it ways for we're seeing in some countries where used for surveillance and, and so on, which is kind of feels a little bit scary, I would say. Um, I don't see that happening in Europe yet, anyway. Oh, it is happening. And that's why yeah. we have the filter bubbles, as we call it, on social media. And, that's why, and, and that makes people uh, react on stuff with a certain uh, viewpoint instead of a complete viewpoint. So the first death of a, uh, a lie on WhatsApp or something, was it? Yeah, I think it was WhatsApp. That already happened. And uh, after that, someone said, yeah, sorry, that message wasn't true. But then already that person was already killed in a corner of the street or something like that. So it's pretty scary and crazy. And uh, so it's also happening in the Western world and maybe even more than we think of. And that makes it a little bit scary. So please be open and transparent and ask questions. 
to parties what they do with your data and how they treat AI. Yeah, no, I I, I think you you're right there. It's it's really important to ask uh, about what's happening with with your data as we discussed even earlier. So, yeah. And thanks to the European regulations, you can go to your doctor and say, I want my medical uh, file. I would want to move to another doctor. And then you get your file and you move to the other doctor. And when you call your previous doctor uh, a couple of yeah. days later and say, what's in my file? He says, I don't know. I gave you my file. But that, uh, please call Facebook or Google and say, I want my data. Then you get your data and then say, okay, you don't know. You don't now don't have access to the data you have from no. and." No. They cannot promise you that because they don't do it. Yeah, but I guess that, so that's um, a little bit scary still. That, that's a good thing about that we at, we in Europe have at least have the politicians to have an eye on it. They we have the GDPR. I think it's uh, it's a start. Uh, I'm quite sure that we need more of that kind of of regulations as well. But it's it's also of course tricky yeah. because you don't want to kill innovation either. Uh, no. But with a bill of data rights uh, or something like that, which should come into existence, why should you kill uh, innovation? Uh, So you should build up a regulation where you can still use data, but in a proper manner that the other party knows what is done with his or her data. Yeah. Um, Now, I cannot sometimes cannot find any data on a specific subject because it's not within my region and it's blocked. And that's a pity because then data is not flowing anymore. So mm. we should have flowing data without uh, the, without having dominance on data by one party, for instance. So yeah. There should be a balance in that as well. Yeah. No, I, I agree to that. It's uh, it's of course a challenging thing. One. Uh, yes, but yeah. that's something we will discover within the couple of years f- from now. And it's always f- first going a little bit too far I guess it before is. we start correcting it. That's some kind of human uh, nature. It should go a little bit too far and then, oh, that's not we want to happen. And then they start reacting. And before that, they say, yeah, it's an yeah. interesting thought, but it's not happening happening yet. So we don't do anything. The same with the crossroads where people die. Yeah. And after the no, second that, one, that's, they start that's sure. And I think that that is something that we really need to uh, keep our eye on and I think that is one of the lessons learned from our discussions today. You, you need to understand what's happening with your data it's at the same time of course yep. that we are looking how to make the best value out of it. So thank you Siko for today. Uh, it was really nice having the discussion with you today um, and uh, all listeners, you can reach me at Johan Halberg on Twitter and also on LinkedIn. So, Siko, where can they reach you? Same for me, Siko Madhuis. Uh, Google me and you find me on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Oh, great. So, thanks a lot, Siko, again. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to hear uh, any new things uh, and new customers and new innovations that you are doing down in the Netherlands. Yes, we keep in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you and bye-bye everyone. Bye.